And if you turn to Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we're going to uh, look at this from verse 15. Uh, in the Church Bibles, that's page 972. And in the large print, 1510. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 15 to 23. So let's uh, just pray uh, as we come to this, this word. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that in the midst of many false words in this world, we know that your word is true, and we pray that tonight you would speak to us from your word, helping us to walk through the narrow gate and along the narrow road that leads to life. Amen. In 1940, uh, the UK was under the imminent threat of invasion uh, from the German army, which was just over the channel. And preparations were being made uh, in our country uh, in case the invasion occurred. And one of the tactics that took place was that the road signs all around the country were switched around or taken down in order to confuse the enemy so that when they came over, they would have no idea where they were going. Now, in some places, such as in London, for example, uh, you kind of know where you are a lot of the time by the monuments that are around you. But when you go into the countryside, if you take the signs down, you can get really lost and have no idea where you're going. When uh, we lived in Devon, which uh, we talked a little bit about the roads there last week, uh, I knew my way around, for the most part, where I lived, But if you don't know your way, you can get lost in deepest, darkest Devon and never find your way out. Now, the reason that they did this was a clever clever tactic. When the enemy came over, either they would get lost or they would be slowed down or they could be led down a road which led to their execution. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus gives us two choices. And last week we looked at these two choices and they are two roads. The narrow road that leads to life and the broad way, uh, the broad road that leads to destruction. But there is an enemy that is at the gate and the purpose of that enemy is to deceive us onto the wrong road, onto the broad way. The point of the enemy is that they, they change the signposts so that the broad way will look like the narrow way. And people go down there and think that everything is just fine. And they stand at the gate, at the gate to the narrow way, and they point away from it and send people down the broad road. There's deception. And Satan wants to capture us before we go through the gate or to hinder our progress on the narrow way. And he does this through deceiving us. And in this passage tonight, Jesus talks of two deceptions. First of all, he's going to talk about the deception of false prophets. And secondly, he's going to talk about self-deception. The deception of false prophets and self-deception. And both of these, just like those pictures in World War II, are signposts that tell us where we want to go, i.e. heaven, 
but they point us in the wrong direction, down the broad road. See if you can uh, see this as we look at these verses. I'm going to read uh, actually from verse 13 uh, to put those in the context of the narrow and the broad road. So Matthew 7 verse 13 down to verse 23. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is God's word. And the first uh, deceptive signpost we see here is the deception of false prophets. In the Bible, a prophet is a person that has a message from God. Sometimes it tells, uh, foretells the future, uh, but most of the time they foretell a message of some kind. And we see prophets often in the Old Testament of the Bible. But Jesus here talks of false prophets. So a false prophet is someone that claims to have a message from God when actually it isn't from God, it's a deception like the ones we read about in Jeremiah. They're claiming God's word, but God says they're not speaking in my name. They're just claiming it. And the false prophets stand at the narrow gate and they tell you how to get to life, but it's a lie. And you're deceived into taking the broad way to destruction whilst thinking you're on the narrow way to life. And they're difficult to spot. They look genuine. Jesus describes them here in verse 15 as uh, they're dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious ferocious wolves. Now, when he says there, they're dressed in sheep's clothing, he's not meaning uh, they're wolves dressed up as sheep as if they've got a funny uh, kind of costume on. That's when, when I first read it, I, I kind of had that picture in my mind uh, of like a costume. Uh, but what Jesus is talking about here is how a shepherd is dressed. A, a shepherd would wear a sheepskin fleece, and the fleece part was on the inside to keep the shepherd warm. And so the wolves here are dressed not as sheep, They're dressed as shepherds. They look like they are the leaders of God's people who are supposed to gently lead the sheep in the right way. 
Old Testament prophets, in fact, dressed very similar to shepherds. And so these false prophets look the genuine article. They are dressed just like the shepherds are with the sheepskin fleeces. But underneath that fleece, they're ferocious wolves. So they sound orthodox. They, they sound like they speak the truth. They're not obviously heretical. They sound Bible-believing. Otherwise, they'd be easily spotted, wouldn't they? If, if, if someone was to come and stand here and start denying that Jesus is Lord, you would recognize false prophets straight away. Those aren't the kind of people Jesus is talking about here. These are ones that are looking the genuine article. But when you take off the fleece, there is a ferocious wolf underneath. And the wolf is the enemy of the sheep. The wolf comes in and takes the sheep away and tears the sheep to pieces. And the analogy, I think, is clear, isn't it? The false prophet's intention is to take you away from the safety and security of God's narrow way to eternal life and destroy you by throwing you down the broad road and you go along there to destruction. And it's a danger for us all. It can, they can even come into the church. Listen to uh, these words that Paul spoke when he was leaving the church in Ephesus in the book of Acts. Chapter 20, verses 29 to 30. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And the, the next uh, words in verse 31 is, so be on your guard. Be on your guard. Even in the church, you can see false prophets. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't say, watch out for false prophets and good luck finding out who they are. No, rather, he tells us in these verses how to recognize them. Look at the beginning of verse 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And that's repeated at the end of, uh, in verse 20, isn't it? Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Unlike a wolf, a tree cannot disguise itself. You may be at first sight unsure of what kind of tree this is. You may be unsure what the fruit will be that it will produce. You may, be either, you may know what the fruit will be, but unsure on what the fruit will taste like, whether it will be good or bad. But the fruit will come out eventually. And eventually, you will be able to pick the fruit off and taste and see if it is any good. In verse 16, Jesus asks a question. Do people uh, pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Uh, the thorn bushes here were uh, known as the, the buckthorn. And they would produce uh, really uh, small blackberries that from a distance would look like grapes. But if you tasted them, they weren't grapes and you wouldn't be able to make wine out of them. And the thistles there, the flowers that would come out of the thistles from a distance would look like figs. But when you went and you examined the berries and the figs uh, and, and, the, and the flowers, 
you would know these are not grapes, these are not figs, and so would you pick them? Of course you wouldn't pick them, because they're useless. You wouldn't be able to do anything with them, except with the thorn bush, maybe get injured. Jesus is saying, if you see that, that kind of fruit, would you pick it? No. And likewise, in verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And in fact, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. There's no way that a false prophet can produce good fruit. What you see in their fruit is a direct result of what is inside them. And when you look at this fruit, or when you taste this fruit, you will see that it is bad. And you will know, therefore, this is a false prophet. So Jesus says to look for the fruit of people who are claiming to show you the narrow way. Look at what their fruit is. But that begs the question, doesn't it? What are we supposed to look for? Well, here are three things uh, which you could look for in looking for fruit. First of all, look at their character. Look at their character. A fig tree is going to produce figs. An apple tree is going to produce apples. What does a Christian produce? A Christian should produce Christ-likeness. Does the teacher, does does their life match up to what Christ says it should? Which is, in the context of this uh, passage, Sermon on the Mount lives. Does what the teacher, uh, does what they're saying match up to how they are living? A teacher of God's word needs to live up to the Christian life. Now, before uh, all the elders resign, because all of us would confess that we fail uh, very much in living out this Sermon on the Mount, what I mean here is, are we striving to live this? Is our heart's desire to live in the way that Jesus commands us to live? Are we making progress? And are we teaching this as it is written here? If the teacher is not caring about whether they're godly or not, if they're just not bothered about their life, if they're showing no concern for the fruits of the Spirit, the indication is that they are a false prophet. And linked to this with the character is motive. False prophets seek glory for themselves. Elsewhere, as well in the um, scriptures, we read about them desiring money. False, uh, there's many a false prophet with a private jet in our day. Look at their life. Look at their motives. Do, do they show you Christ when you look at them? So look for the fruit of character. Then look, at the, look for the fruit of their teaching. Now perhaps they won't teach heresy. I've said you know, it, it'd be obvious if they were denying basic truths of Scripture. But notice what they don't speak of. They don't speak the whole, uh, as Paul describes in Acts, the whole counsel of God. They avoid parts of Scripture especially the parts about the narrow way, especially the parts that say how hard the Christian life is. Those bits are missing, and they only talk about the bits that everybody wants to hear. They make the Christian life sound like the broad way. Now, Jeremiah, we read, was an example of that. 
Jeremiah was a, a true prophet at a time when false prophets were everywhere. And they, the false prophets were telling uh, people, everything is fine. Here's another part of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 6. Listen uh, to these words. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. So they are teaching, it's not that bad. Sin is not that serious. This, this wound of sin is, is not so bad. Just stick a plaster on it and it will be just fine. The broad way that leads to destruction, or destruction's not that bad. The, the broad way isn't as bad as Jesus makes it out here. This is what Jesus really means. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And they twist the scripture to say what it doesn't mean. And it can sound so plausible at first. We, we hear this a lot in our day uh, regarding homosexuality, don't we? You'll hear things like this, which is partly true. Jesus never mentions the word homosexuality. God is love. Well, those things are both absolutely true. But Jesus did talk about sexual immorality a great deal without naming every single uh, thing that that means. But you can see how Scripture is twisted to sound plausible. But when you dig a little deeper, you see that the fruit is bad. So we must ask, when we're looking at the teaching, does the teaching stick to Scripture and exalt the Christ to whom Scripture points? So look at their character, look at their teaching, and finally, uh, the third thing, look at their influence. Look at their influence. What do their sheep look like? The people that they are teaching, are they growing in godliness? Ungodly teaching produces ungodly living. Also, look out for a personality that seeks followers of themselves rather than Christ. People that want to influence for their own gain, not pointing people to Jesus. And often, these kind of people uh, shepherd harshly. They'll make demands of you that really ought not to be made. So when you look at the fruit tree, at first you might not be sure on what the fruit is or what the quality is. But Jesus tells us the fruit will bear out. You will see. And so the application there is in, the, in verse 15, the first two words. Watch out. Watch out. Check what is said in God's name against God's word. Especially be careful today in our day of YouTube and Google theology. There can be all sorts you can get online that you'll hear and it can sound really plausible. But open our Bibles and dig deep and check what is being said. Be suspicious of preachers, especially ones that are asking for money or ones that are preaching something that is novel. Something that they say, well, the church has been around for 2,000 years and I've got something here that's never been said before. If they ever say that, be suspicious because it's not true. And look at their lives. Are they showing Christ-likeness? And yes, I even would say, you can even do that with us. We preach God's word, but it's right that you can look at our lives and we should be beyond reproach. You should be able to read your Bibles 
and say, yes, I can see where they have got that from. And if you find that it's not there or something like that, then come and challenge us. And we'll be glad to hopefully show you where we did find it. But there is a promise here. You will recognize them. Jesus says, you will see the fruit, but we've got to watch out for it. And this is so important because of verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. You see, those false prophets are thrown into the fire. And that fire is the very destruction where they are leading people to. And so it's so important we watch out for them. Because they not only lead themselves to destruction, they lead others astray as well. So bad fruit shows false prophets. But Jesus tells us of another way that the signposts are changed around and it's dangerous. And this is perhaps even more dangerous than the deception of false prophets. It's in verses 21 and 22. Self-deception. Look at these words again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We have here a group of people who are surprised not to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus says, on that day, that day is judgment day. They are standing before God, and God is judging them. And Jesus says here that not everyone who professes Jesus as Lord will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Now you can see why these people think they're Christians. They have a good profession. They use the name Lord, That's the the covenant name of God. They are claiming to be one of his people. It's the name that his people use. They believed the right things about who God is. No doubt they stood with God's people and they recited the Apostles' Creed. They had the right things to say. Lord, Lord. Good profession. Notice they had good fervency. Notice how they say Lord twice. Lord, Lord. And it indicates there a a passion and a fervency in belief. So these people talk a good Christianity. They know what to talk about and they talk about it with passion. They get worked up about the world around them. They sing really well and really loudly. They're at every meeting. They sign up for evangelism. They're good church members. Good profession, good fervency, and then finally, good works. Notice what they're doing. They prophesy, they cast out demons, they perform miracles, they do these spectacular things, and even they do it in Jesus' name. Notice three times, in your name, in your name, in your name. And they get to judgment day, and there's a shock. They're not even Christians. What's happened? Well, there's a clue in two phrases that Jesus uses here. First of all, notice in verse 21, who Jesus says is the one that enters the kingdom of heaven. It's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
And then notice at the end of verse 23, the final word, evildoers. It means lawless. It means one who does not obey the word of God. Disobedience. You see, externally, these people were amazing. They said the right words and they spoke them with passion and zeal. They did extraordinary things, extraordinary works of power in God's name. Notice here, all of the works that they did were the spectacular gifts of the Spirit, weren't they? They were all uh, miracles, driving out demons and prophesying. Spectacular things that everyone can see. And they did it all in Jesus' name. The problem is this. They had an external profession, but no internal holiness. They had an external profession, but no internal holiness. With their miracles, they changed the course of nature, but they had no change of character. The will of the Father is to live like the Son. And remember where this passage is. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. And so the will of the Father is to live like the Son, and to live like the Son is to live like the Son says here in this sermon on how to live as a Christian. And no amount of miracles, no amount of prophesying, no amount of driving out demons, no amount of pious words will atone for ignoring what Jesus says in the sermon on Christian living. The Bible does talk about spectacular gifts. This is not Jesus saying that those gifts of prophesying miracles and driving out demons are not important and not real or relevant. But the Bible has a whole lot more to say on godly living than it does about miracles. Those who focus on externals only are in for a big shock on judgment day. And they will find that they are not God's people. And we hear these terrifying words of Jesus. I never knew you. I never knew you. Now the words there, I never knew you, it's not Jesus uh, intellectually not knowing who you are. When, When the Bible uses the word know here, It's talking of relationship. In older versions of the Bible, when people got married, for Adam and Eve, Adam knew his wife. means the sexual relationship, the intimacy of relationship. That's what the word know means there. It's an intimacy with God. Uh, In in the book of Amos, uh, uh, God describes in chapter 3 his relationship with his people. And he says this, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. He's talking about a family relationship. I know you as family. And so Jesus is saying here, not I don't know who you are, uh, let me go get my, my list. He's saying you are not part of the family. You are not part of the family. You are not my people. Yes, you showed all these external things, but my people show lives that mirror in somewhat the way the Sermon on the Mount. Holiness, godliness. And for all those external things that you did, you're not part of my family. And he says, away from me, you evildoers. 
And when he says, away from me, he's talking about destruction. And so there's a warning here for us, a a, a severe warning. The warning is this. Don't think that you're on the narrow way just because you do some work in the church. You can be a Sunday school teacher, a home group leader. You can talk about Jesus. You can be enthusiastic church members and be on the Broadway. These verses show us that there are more people who profess to be in God's kingdom than are actually there. And so we must examine ourselves. We must examine our profession. Are we just saying, Lord, Lord, but not caring about what he says? Is our profession backed up by obedience to his word? Now, we cannot rely on our obedience to save us. We cannot rely on any work to atone for sin. But people that God has forgiven of sin and put their spirit, his spirit in will be concerned to live a godly life. This is not saying, do this and you'll be saved. It's saying, save people, do this. God is not impressed by our orthodox and enthusiastic words. He demands we show that belief in holiness of life and obedience to him. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, Paul uh, mirrors these, wo- these, these words. He says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. So this is how God's people are. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. God knows. Remember that word, know. He, he, he's in relationship with his people. But his people are those that turn away from wickedness. If the German army had invaded, they would have been confused by the signs. But if they had had a map when they arrived, they might have been okay. The signs can deceive us, but God's word is our map and it shows us the way we should live. God's word shows us the true way to life. Trusting in Jesus' death to pay for your sin and his resurrection that gives us eternal life. God's word shows us how to walk the narrow way in godliness, in holiness of life. God's word also shows us the one who walked the road before us. In the Old Testament, Moses was told by God that a prophet would come that everyone should listen to. And Jesus Christ is the promised prophet that Moses was promised. And Jesus isn't a false prophet that speaks God's word but doesn't really speak of God. Jesus is God He is the word of God. Every word he speaks is true. Every word he speaks is good. Every word he speaks leads us to life. And if you look at Jesus, you can see his character. 
The fruit of his character, he was perfect. He lived out the will of his father in every way. You can see the fruit of his teaching. It's God's word. It is true in every word, every way. You can see his influence because since he died and rose and ascended and the spirit came throughout the history of the church, lives have been transformed and people are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ himself. We can trust the word of Jesus. But perhaps you're here tonight and you're wondering, am I even on the narrow road? Perhaps some of you are thinking, well, I thought I was on the narrow way, but now I'm not so sure. If right now you are trusting that Jesus has died for your sins and you are trusting that he has His death is sufficient to pay for your sin and you believe that is true and you are striving with all your might to live as he would want you to live. You are on the narrow way that leads to life. But if you are just saying, I believe, and you're relying on some prayer you've prayed perhaps many years ago and you're not bothered about what Jesus says, then it's unlikely you are on the narrow way. But perhaps you're deceived into thinking you're okay when really you're not. And so wherever you stand tonight, whatever road you're walking on, we all need to examine ourselves. We all need to seek forgiveness for sin and trust in the death of Jesus to pay for that. And we all need to turn from our wickedness and follow the Christ who shows us how to live the narrow way. We need to look at the words of the Sermon on the Mount and rather than say, this is impossible, I can't do this, say, Lord, help me. Help me to live this way. Help me to walk this narrow path. Help me to follow you and your word. And let us strive to live for his glory. Even though the road is narrow and the way is hard, let us strive to live that way to life, life eternal in glory. Let me pray before we sing. Heavenly Father, help us to watch out for false prophets. Help us to recognize them by their fruits and to not listen to what they are telling us, but rather to listen to your word. Help us, Lord, not to deceive ourselves into thinking sin doesn't matter. Help us not to deceive ourselves when we want to do things that are sinful and we deceive ourselves by finding ways to make those things acceptable. Deliver us, Lord. Help us to walk on the narrow way that leads to life. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that all of our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We thank you that there is nothing he cannot forgive And we pray that we would seek your forgiveness now 
and commit with our whole hearts to following you on the road that leads to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to close uh, and respond uh, in song by standing uh, and singing uh, where the chorus says, The life that I live is not my own. Jesus lives in me, the hope of glory. We live for him because he lives in us.